All right, this is Arab Talk on KPOO in San Francisco, 89.5 FM. This is Arab Talk with Justin Jamal, and I'm Jessan Nam. And this is Jamal Dejani. Well, Jamal, one week has passed since our last uh, Arab Talk show, and the COVID-19 epidemic has been ravaging the world. It shows little to no signs of abating or mitigating in any kind of significant way. Uh, as of this morning, according to the Johns Hopkins website, close to 1 million people in the world have been infected with COVID-19. We uh, anticipate uh, when we look at Europe, which is just being ravaged, especially Italy and Spain, that the death rate continues significantly. In New York City, for example, as of this morning, it looks like there's about 1,700 deaths already. Over 220,000 American citizens have been infected with the COVID-19. And essentially, the entire United States, Jamal, except for maybe North Dakota and South Dakota, is on a national shelter-in-place. The situation continues to worsen significantly. That's right. Uh, and uh, I've actually been monitoring. Uh, this is a very good site uh, that I go to, which is the World uh, Meters. And it gives you a very uh, good view to what's, ho- uh, what's going on in the rest of the world. But just like I said, you, you are right now. We have close to a million people infected. The USA now is 235,000. And the numbers since yesterday have increased by 20,000, yes. And the numbers of deaths, we have 5,600, which increased also by 502, putting the U.S. as the number one in, in cases, followed by Italy, Spain, Germany, China, France. And again, I still, have, I still, I still believe that the numbers from China are... Pretty much, uh, these are underestimates. Well, I think well, I, I think you're right, Jamal. But I'll tell you that the estimates in the United States are underestimates too, because one of the bigger problems we're still having in the United States, despite what we hear on the daily briefings from the right White House, is that the number of test uh, test kits and the ability of Americans, U.S. citizens, non-citizens, anybody in the U.S. to be able to access uh, the COVID-19 test is continues to be severely limited. So I believe you're right about the chi- the numbers from China probably are underestimated. And by the way, parenthetically, it looks like the second wave of infection may be happening in China, which is very disturbing. But I think it's also important for our listeners to realize that the numbers in the United States are most likely grossly underestimated. In fact, yesterday, even the uh, vice president of the United States, who's no fan of science, may not even believe in science, admitted that there could be, you know, over 200,000 U.S. deaths as a result of the COVID-19 and suggested that the U.S., the picture of the U.S. model of infection and death is going to be close to the Italian model. This is coming from the vice president, Mike Pence. If that's true, Jamal, then we can anticipate well over 200,000 deaths in the United States. So it's pretty well, grim. Well, the, uh, Dr. Fauci said that. He said we can go as high as 200,000 and uh, deaths in the United States and as high as a million plus people infected. But you're absolutely right. If you don't have anyone tested, you're not going to have the accurate number, which means that you have a lot of people walking around who might be carriers, but they might not be suffering from any of uh, the uh, symptoms of the coronavirus, yet they are carriers passing it on to others. So, but at least I feel a little bit comforted in a, in a, I shouldn't maybe use that word, but in a way that there are now different organizations keeping track, at least in the United States, because as you know, Donald Trump in the beginning was dismissing it and he was in denial. And this is just like the flu. It's going to pass. It's going to go away. And now we are at least knowing where is the epicenter. We, we know that New York City is the epicenter. We know the New York greater area 
area, New Jersey, Connecticut are really affected by it. And some, uh, at least some cities and counties are taking this very seriously. I know that in San Francisco Bay Area, they are taking it very seriously. This is where we live. I know that Governor Newsom for the state of California is taking it, taking this issue very seriously. And up to, until yesterday, we saw some change in Florida, where the governor of Florida was saying, ah, it really affected just certain areas. And his, his best buddies with Donald Trump. So Donald Trump said, well, he knows what he's doing, but only up only yesterday he said, no, no, we're going to start taking some measures. So people are starting, hopefully, they are starting to wake up and to reassess and understand the severity of this situation. And then there are many unknowns. And this is the scary part because then they say, maybe we get it under control within by the summer, but it might return in the fall. Well, I think I think I think that's right, Jamal. There's a good chance, and this is what they're working on right now, that there could be a resurgence in the fall because if it's uh, a virus, there are seasonal there are seasonal changes in virus uh, manifestations, and uh, you know the ability for it to uh, spread in communities. So there's a chance that it could come back in the fall or the winter. But there also could be secondary infections, which we need to be on the lookout for. I do want to go back to what you said about Florida. I'm very worried about Florida. Florida is going to be a hotspot, Jamal, because of the the, uh, uh, the, the, the catastrophic kind of uh, lack of intelligence in the governor, uh, Mr. Governor DeSantis, who, as you said, played it down. We have in Florida, for example... The average age of Floridians is the highest of any state in the country. You have more older adults living in Florida than any other state. You have close quarters of people living because of the retirement communities all over Florida, especially in the South. And because of his lack of leadership and his uh, denial of reality, and he didn't enforce any of these measures until really until just the last 48 hours, I'm afraid Florida is going to be headed for some really significant bad outcomes in terms of spread, mortality, and morbidity here. So it goes to show that as we got at least a two to three week late start because of the Trump administration's inability to take this stuff seriously, and now you have governors like DeSantis in Florida who are not just weeks behind, but maybe a month behind. So I'm uh, I'm very concerned about uh, everybody living in Florida, Jamal. It could be very devastating. Let's not forget the hot spots in Louisiana, hot spots in my hometown, Detroit, Michigan. Uh, Detroit is basically um, uh, in complete chaos right now. The healthcare system in Detroit was already um, not functioning very well, to to say the least. And they are getting overwhelmed right now. Um, and they're just at the beginning stage of uh, getting admissions and things like that. So multiple hotspots all over the country. We're still not able to test Americans the way we need. We still need forty to 50,000 ventilators. We're not even uh, 20 to 30% there. I think, Jamal, we still haven't seen the worst of the worst. Even though the president said yesterday, the next two weeks are going to be really bad. I think to be more honest with people, it's more likely that the next four to six weeks and maybe even longer are going to be terrible weeks. That, that's right. And, and of course, it took him a long time uh, to actually extend now the, uh, you know, expand on asking people to stay in shelter uh, to end of April some places they're saying around you know first week of uh, in may no nah. i don't think so i think it's going to be a lot longer mm-hmm. no no but this is this is the official the official oh, yeah, is the, that, that yeah. they they extended it to the end of um, april that i've seen like for example different counties 
It's like May 6 is the date. And then, uh, you know, this is subject to further notice. Now, uh, I want to ask you a few things uh, uh, as far as the medical community. We, I've been seeing more and more stories about uh, people in the medical field, doctors, dying, Jess, uh, from contracting the coronavirus. And a lot of complaints also coming from people in the medical field saying that they don't have proper masks, they don't have proper gowns, they're working uh, almost 20-hour shifts and uh, trying to treat uh, all these patients without any protection. It's really a crisis, uh, Jamal, and uh, it's the kind of crisis that's really devastating. I'm going to start with Italy first because 500 doctors have died from COVID-19 infections in Italy. Imagine that. Uh, with a country the size of Italy, 500 doctors have already died. In New York City, the epicenter, where now, you know, I, I think the last I heard, over 500 uh, police officers in New York City have been infected. We know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of EMTs, doctors, nurses, nursing assistants, medical assistants are infected and self-quarantining. But the devastation to the medical community, and broadly speaking, you know, doctors, nurses, assistants, and things like that, is going to hit New York and the rest of this country probably this week and next week. And we're still hearing, uh, as you alluded to, uh, from people all over the United States, there isn't enough PPE, personal protective equipment, masks, gowns, gloves, to uh, go around to protect people. In a regular day, Jamal, if you're in a hospital and you're going from patient to patient, you have to change your mask, your gloves, and your personal protective equipment every time you see a patient. Now, what doctors are doing, they have to wear the same mask sometimes, not just for the whole day, but for many days in a row, and in some cases, don't even have the correct mask to protect mm -hmm. them. So doctors are getting sick, nurses are getting sick. And I think because of the way that the virus is showing itself, um, you're going to see mass infections among healthcare professionals. And then you're going to see the death rate over the course of the next couple of weeks also increasing. The, the inhumanity of forcing medical professionals to work in unsafe situations is, is you know, so morally abject. I don't even know where to begin. But these people feel obligated, as we do, to continue to see patients and continue to treat them, even though we don't have the personal protective equipment uh, necessary. A lot of people are dying. A lot of people are getting sick. And we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg. When doctors and nurses and other professionals get sick, Jamal, there's not going to be anybody to take care of the sick patients out there. So um, you, you, whatever you're hearing... Uh, from 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 the White House or from whatever, the situation is 10 to 20 times worse. The other really horrible statistic that's coming out right now, Jamal, is that if you get placed on a ventilator, which is really the only treatment, if you get hospitalized, you go into the hospital, mm -hmm. your lungs stop working, you have to be ventilated. Over 80% of people who get ventilated, Jamal, don't make it which is really, really a horrifically high number. That's right. You're listening to Arab Talk. Um, we are streaming uh, on online now because we can't go to uh, our favorite station, KPOO 89.5 FM, San Francisco. Um, and uh, I want to stay on the topic but switch gear, something that is not being discussed a lot. And... Uh, and just a reminder to our listeners, uh, my co-host, Dr. Jessica Nam, is a world-renowned clinical psychologist. is actually a professor of clinical psychology, amongst many, many other things that he has done in this field and in research and in treating patients. Now, just the one thing that people are not talking about a lot is the psychological impact. Right. Uh, and in, and we, 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 you should break, we should break it down in, into many 
categories because there is that psychological impact. If you yourself is affected or if you have loved ones who are affected by the coronavirus, which, or you have death in the family because of this, which is the worst kind of, I think, scenario you, that you can ever imagine. But then there is the, there is the confinement, there is the stress. Uh, you know, I have students uh, at San Francisco State University, so I've been teaching online, two courses online, switched now to online. And yesterday I've had a discussion with a group of my students and they're stressed out, many of them. Many of them had to leave the Bay Area. They had to move to to their parents' homes. Right. Others, they actually couldn't leave. Right. They, there is that stress of the uncertainty. So like I said, there are multi-layers of stress. How do people, how can people cope with it? Well, Jamal, I think that's a really... A uh, fantastic question. I'm glad that you're asking it. I'm glad that we're able to address it on uh, on the show because it's not getting a lot of discussion. I mean, rightfully, the the bulk of the discussion has been on the on the more medicalized side. You know, um, social distancing, treatment, access to care, but really the the not so hidden tragedy in all of this is the massive. Uh, global psychological response to this pandemic, which we can liken to other historical major global events that uh, affected people negatively. We can look back, for example, during World War II, when there was a large global, although it was kind of focused on, you know, mostly in certain areas of the globe, it affected the entire world. There were... um, you know, sheltering in place and lockdowns. There was a lot of traumatic stress. We have more recent events, for example, like in Northern California, we've had earthquakes, we've had fires, and, you know, uh, nationally we had 9-11, which, you know, was uh, a, a national impact, but didn't have the same impact that the COVID-19 is happening in the United States. So we can look to some of these other larger traumatic uh, uh, world events to help us understand. Let me just begin by saying is that there's not a single person who isn't touched by the devastation of COVID-19, either from a medical or psychological standpoint. Um, you know, let's talk about, you know, getting sick is a devastating impact and a big psychological stress. How about losing your job when you mm-hmm. have millions of people who are out of work now and unable to work. What about having children who are unable here in California, Jamal? You know, uh, you know this as well as anybody since you know you're teaching at San Francisco State. But what if you've got a young child, you know, between the ages of three and eighteen, and your daycare uh, is not able to take your children, and school is out, and your kids are home all the time? So there's the confinement. There's the loss of job. Right. Um, it's having a huge psychological impact, and uh, we can what what I call it is global psychological stress syndrome, and uh, some of the symptoms of that are pretty typical. The I would say the biggest one has to do with people being really anxious, and when you don't have control over your immediate environment, when you're not sure what's going to happen to yourself or to loved ones. Uh, when you're not sure what's going to happen with this endem- uh, pandemic, when you're worried about losing your job or you've lost your job, it's going to create a tremendous amount of anxiety. Right next to the anxiety, you're also going to get a lot of uh, depression. People are experiencing extremely high levels of depression as well as the anxiety. And then third, I would say, is that uh, sleepless nights. Uh, we're, we're hearing this from a lot of people having a lot of difficulty sleeping because mm-hmm. of worries. This trifecta, as I like to call it, Jamal, of increased anxiety, increased depression, and, and poor sleep is a trifecta and a recipe for extreme psychological distress. And because you can't just go outside so easily and, you know, congregate and get your natural support systems, it's made worse. One of the best remedies of 
of having a lot of stress is having a good support system. You have mm -hmm. family, you have friends. Even after 9-11, which was catastrophic in New York City and for the rest of the world, rest of the United States, in New York City, you found people huddling together and, and forming these naturally occurring support groups that lasted for many weeks and months after 9-11 that naturally supported people, families, and communities afterwards. We can't do that now. Especially if you look at Northern California, if you look at the Greater Bay Area, you see that people are not really able to do that anymore. You can't stop by your friend's house. You can't go to your family's house. You can't do the things that you naturally uh, are able to do to help support yourself during uh, these difficult times. And in addition, if you have kids, your kids are at home That's and right. you've got to deal with them. There's more marital distress. Uh, there's more conflict with children. And then the anxiety, if you haven't lost your job, the anxiety about losing your job is, is really horrible. And I'll tell you, we don't have the resources to help people. So unfortunately, you know, it's important that we talk about this on Arab Talk because right. there's maybe a few things that you can do yourself with your family and uh, your community to... Well, I, I was going to ask you because yeah. about if there were any resources online, because as you said, after 9-11 and even after wars, people got together, families comforted each other. Now with the technology, and I know like uh, everybody's using Zoom and other, uh, you know, uh, other apps to communicate with their loved ones, uh, are there sites where people can speak to a therapist? Yeah, if so, yeah, most, if you call, if you haven't, uh, here's what's happening. I'll, I'll, I'll speak generally and then about California and then about the Bay Area. So basically what's happened in the last couple of weeks is there's been this massive transition to telehealth and telemedicine. So what that means is, is because we're in shelter in place and we can't leave the house, most if not all insurance companies now have a provision for you to be able to either call your doctor or Skype your doctor or Zoom your doctor, and that's either your medical doctor or a psychological doctor. So what if, what if someone doesn't have insurance? They lost their job. A lot of people work uh, hourly wages. Maybe they don't have insurance. What, that, what can they do now? California has resources available to people. Just yesterday, uh, two days ago, Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, announced the, you know, the health core for California. So there are now... 35,000 people who have come out of retirement who are volunteering themselves to serve the people of California, at least. The rest of the country, it's, it's not as well organized as we are here in California. So there are websites that you can go to, especially the california.ca.gov. The, the, uh, the COVID-19 website for the state of California has some really wonderful resources if you're insurance, if you don't have insurance, to be able to access both medical and mental health services in the state of California. So we encourage our listeners in California, at least, to be able to go to the COVID-19 website for the state of California. If you're outside the state of California, or if you're watching us from another part of the country, I'm afraid to say that the resources available to you are not, uh, not very good. I've been in communication with my colleagues and, you know, as you have, Jamal, with my friends and colleagues in the Middle East. And, uh, you know, there's most countries in the Middle East are on lockdown, too. And it's not as if you can you can you can do uh, you could go see your doctor, have telehealth with your doctor because they're not as uh, up to speed as we are. So the the thing that you have to do, I mean, I'm going to kind of talk about a step by step thing that you can do if you're in this situation, whether or not you have insurance or not. Mm -hmm. But back to the insurance thing is that the website for uh, california.ca.gov slash COVID-19, if you go to that website, they have tremendous services available for people with or without insurance. Most professionals now, Jamal, most medical and health professionals have access to telehealth techniques now. The government has relaxed a lot of the rules and regulations uh, for using telehealth, so it's actually a lot easier right now. 
So I'm going to ask you a question. What do you think the number one issue for people is right now when they think about the situation that they're in? Well, I think, that, I mean, there are a lot of issues. It depends on... What do you on, think people uh, talk about the most? It's interesting. I think, I think it's, the, it's the uncertainty, that's in my opinion. No, that's exactly right, Jamal. You hit it. It's the lack of control and the inability to predict what's going to happen in the future. What we as people do to manage ourselves psychologically is that we have all these techniques where we can control things. You know, we can go to the store if we're hungry. We can go to work if we want to make money. We can go see friends. We have a little bit of control over our environment, and that really helps us. And typically in situations where there is a, you know, uh, a mass event, whether it's an earthquake or fire or things like that, People have the ability to move around, you know, after the crisis is over and access resources. We don't really have that right now, Jamal. So the biggest thing that's going on for people that's causing the most stress is the, is the feeling of being out of control and the lack of control over things that they typically enjoyed. Having said that, this also goes to the heart of the matter in terms of helping people cope and manage, Jamal, because... What you can do as a person, it's a very easy formula to say it, but to do it is very complicated. And here's how it goes. Focus your attention on the small things you have control over and those things you don't have control over, you have to let them go. You can't control the pandemic right now, but you can control social distancing. You can't go out and be with your friends physically as easily, but you can do phone calls, Zoom, or other kind of video conferencing, whether it's Facebook Live, WhatsApp, TikTok, you know, FaceTime, Duo, all those things. So the real primary recommendation to anybody who's listening right now, Jamal, is to make sure you focus your mental, physical, and emotional energy on those small things that you have control over. Um, if you can do that, you will find that your level of stress will, will come down significantly. If you start worrying about things that you really don't have control over, your level of stress will go up dramatically. So again, focus on those few things you have control over. Um, the second thing that I tell people, and this, you know, this has come up on many occasions in other situations, is what I tell people, Jamal, is that even if you're at home, even if you're in shelter in place, even if you have children, mm -hmm. the thing that you need to do is have a routine for yourself. So okay, so so that just uh, so when you're talking about having a routine, because also this is I've been hearing uh, about people sleeping too much no. because now they don't have to report to work; they don't no. have to get up at seven o'clock in the Not morning, good. so they stay in bed till eleven, twelve. That's bad. Yeah, basically what you need to do, even if you're sheltering at home, even if you have kids, even if you've lost your job and you're on, uh, um, you know, you're, you're, you're getting some form of support, uh, um, you know, and you're not able to leave the house, you have to have a routine, which means here's what you got to do. You got to get up at the same time that you're used to getting up. You have to have a routine during the day whether it's um, doing chores, whether it's teleconferencing, whether it's doing certain things with um, your children or your partner, whomever. You have to take meals at the same time. And you have to create a routine where you get up, do things at around the same time, and then wind down in the evening and then eventually go to bed at the time that you typically would. Very good tip. Yeah. So having a routine is probably the second most important thing. You know, make sure you focus on those things you have control and then having a routine for yourself every day. You may think it's silly, but for example, getting up in the morning, having your coffee, reading the news, however you read the news, uh, go for a walk, 
um, do something during the day on a regular basis to have a good routine for yourself. That's the now, second thing. Now, people want to stay in touch. They want to also stay informed. Uh, I mean, we have wall-to-wall co- coverage yeah, on, but it's a problem. on TV. And exactly, is there such a thing as uh, information overloads? 100%. What I tell people is that... Um, You'd think that watching TV all day and keeping track on the news would be a good thing to stay up to date on things. It's actually not. And it's confusing people. We're getting different uh, information every day and misinformation. Well, there's misinformation for sure, but there's also too much information. So what I encourage people to do is to limit access to media of any kind, except for Arab talk, of course, but not to do <laughs> not to do more than two to three hours maximum of um, of media of any kind. So that means, you know, don't watch the news all day. Don't watch cable news all day. Don't listen to the radio all day. Give yourself a break where you check in maybe for 30 minutes in the beginning of the day, maybe 30 minutes in the middle of the day. And then maybe 30 minutes to an hour, if you can tolerate it, at the end of the day. But consuming news at this time, too much of it, can actually add stress. It's better to watch a good movie, Jamal. It's better to watch reruns on TV than it stress, is. Stress, stress relief, right? 100%. In fact, the best stress relievers right now are within the limits of the confinement restrictions to do a little walking every day. So exercise. Exercise. Eating regularly and trying your best to eat relatively healthy. I know it's more difficult right now, but trying to eat relatively healthy, three meals a day, not to undereat, not to overeat, but to have three regular meals with a snack once in a while is perfectly fine. Together with the exercise and making sure that you get good sleep are probably the three things that can help uh, help your body and your mind more than anything else. And I want to ask you probably about the most uh, difficult of all, uh, which is uh, if you lost a loved one and how to deal with grief. Because look, we have more than 5,000 people dead in the United States. In Italy, of course, the number is uh, double that. So there are families today who lost, I, I was watching just yesterday a, uh, an interview on TV of, uh, actually the person who died was a doctor and, uh, and uh, his partner was just kept crying. He couldn't even answer the question. So how do you cope with grief when you have the worst case scenario? Well, that's a very difficult and good question, Jamal. And, uh, the, the real sobering answer to your question is that in this time, there's no ideal or, or best practice for dealing with grief. Because let's look at what happens right now when a loved one uh, passes away from COVID-19. You're not allowed to be with that person. You can't, you can't say goodbye to that person. You're not allowed to have a funeral. So because... You know, that's been put on hold, especially, I mean, I don't know how it is for the rest of the country, but any gathering more than just two people is banned right now. So not only you can't say your goodbyes to the person that you love, your loved one, you're not even able to go through a process of having a funeral to bury them to say goodbye. So at this point, all of the things that we do, both culturally, religiously, and spiritually to help ourselves Uh, mourn the loss of a loved one have been taken from us. So you have to unfortunately make do and understand that grieving right now and mourning the loss of a loved one is going to be especially difficult right now. What I'm telling people to do, you have to reach out. You have to use the telephone, you have to use the cell phone, and you have to use you know, all of the techniques available to do, you know, to do video conferencing with friends and family to help you kind of digest and manage it. Because it it turns out that you may not be able to have a legitimate grieving process 
-hmm. for many months. And so it's probably going to be a delayed reaction. The worst thing you can do is just isolate yourself. And that's true for everybody, whether or not you've lost somebody or not, because all of us have lost things. We've lost jobs. We've lost ability to do things we love to do. We've lost loved ones. So all of us are going through dealing with loss of, of some kind. So the best thing we can do is stay connected, stay connected with friends and family in some way in order to, in order to get you through this. I'd say losing a loved one right now, Jamal, is probably one of the most painful things that's going to happen to anybody because you can't even uh, you can't even say goodbye to to your your loved one anymore i mean basically if you go into a hospital and you're put on a ventilator there's an 80% chance you're not going to make it and they're not the way the hospital restrictions are jamal you know this if you go in the hospital they're not letting any visitors no, they're not. Uh, I've, I saw images on TV. Even when people die, uh, some hospitals now have refrigerator trucks uh, and they just put the bodies in the refrigerator trucks in the back of the hospital. And and the next of kin, uh, they're not allowed to visit. Yeah, uh, it's terrible. So my recommendation for people right now is that you have to do all of the things that we talked about uh beforehand, you know, in terms of not isolating, focusing on those things that you have control over, staying connected, making sure you get a little uh, exercise, you're eating relatively well, all of those sleeping well, you know, you got to do all those things, even if you're in the midst of grief. But in the midst of grief, make sure you reach out to somebody to at least talk about it in in some way or another, because I'm I'm sorry to say this to our listeners, Jamal. We're going to be in the middle of this for months, at the very minimum. I don't care what you're hearing from uh, the White House, Jamal. I mean that mm. you know maybe one more month and things will be back. We're we're not going to be back to normal. There's not going to be normality for months and months and months. And even and even if we get out of this, we're not going to go back to normal. Things no. have changed. I was thinking just about lessons from this, like uh, like what have we learned because of the coronavirus? And I came up with three important uh, lessons. Number one, that we are interdependent and globally connected, whether we like it or not. Right. Something happens in China is going to affect us right here. It's going to affect Europe. It's going to, you know, I mean, this whole idea about exceptionalism, that the United States is exceptional, that we can protect ourselves, we can isolate ourselves, we can be U.S. centric, which we are very much U.S. centric. It's not going to work against something like a virus. So that's like this is the other thing I was thinking about that, boy, how much we are underprepared for catastrophes. I, I just, you know, I mean, looking at it, I mean, we consider this as a catastrophe and you see all these sci-fi movies. What if we get, uh, you know, a meteor hitting Earth or something like this to, to that magne magnitude, like something like this, a small, teeny, microscopic virus wreaked havoc all over the world. Imagine, imagine something bigger. We are so underprepared. And then the last thing I was thinking about is listen to scientists, <laughs> not politicians. Don't listen to kooks who cite religion as a cure for everything. Because this is, you know, I'm always watching the news I mean, forget it. You can't just trust, you, you know, things like this. People have to stop listening to Trump. They have to stop listening to politicians. They have to stop listening to, uh, uh, I'm sorry to say, religious leaders that I have been telling them to go to their synagogues because the Messiah is going to return and he's going to cure us or from or listen to the priests that have been preaching uh, telling them you know to touch the tv maybe and donate some money and then they're going to be 
cured and and so on. I mean, I'm across the board, and I've, I've also I've heard it from Muslims, Christians, uh, Jews, and and others. I, I just tune them out today. You I should. only pay attention to scientists. Well, Jamal, I I like those uh, three points a lot, and. Um, I'm hoping that one of the conclusions, one of the outcomes of this pandemic will be a re recommitment of our society to science. And I'm not saying that there has to be a inconsistency between religion and science. There isn't. Uh, you can you you can be faithful and deeply faithful and still be committed to science. The problem hey, is, hey, if you pray to God, God would listen to you even if you prayed from home. You don't have to go to church. Exactly. But if you don't listen to science, which is what we're seeing in a lot of these cases, whether it's the uh, synagogues in, uh, in some of the settlements that are still congregating and, and have to be broken up by soldiers because, you know, they, they you know, believe that they're gatherings will will afford them some protection from the virus it doesn't or the pastor in florida who encourages his parishioners to come to a large uh you know come to church together to pray this away you know 50% of whom are now infected with the covid virus um you have to listen to science you can be faithful and believe in science and i'm hoping one of the outcomes of this will be a recommitment to science and hoping that the government will recommit itself to a belief in science because it it's only in the last three days jamal that we've seen the president of the united states take seriously what uh dr fauci tony fauci has been saying his gravitas his sobriety his mood has changed dramatically because I think he's finally listening to what Dr. Fauci has been saying. And by the way, Jamal, I don't know if you saw this. There's been a report that there have been multiple death threats against Dr. Fauci's life by some of the um, Trump base because wow. they feel like he's trying to undercut the, you know, the... Uh, the president by, you know, saying what he's saying. So they've had to beef up security with Tony Fauci, uh, which is, it seems so crazy to me that you have to give Tony Fauci additional security because he has death threats because he's telling us information and giving us guidance based on science. It's going to be always those people who are in denial. Um, we have a few minutes left. Yeah. Uh, so what's ahead of us? I want to talk a little bit about uh, any uh, advances in the science. You know, we've, we've, we've talked last week about uh, the uh, new uh, viral drugs that they have been experimenting uh, with and, uh, and saying like the drug that you use for malaria might be helpful. Uh, also about the... Uh, breathing devices that they're trying to now uh, procure or uh, split uh, to help the patients because every day I hear the governor of uh, New York saying they don't have enough of them. So what's going on? Well, I'm sorry to say, Jamal, that uh, there's nothing new to nothing no good news to to report the only thing that we have which makes me nervous are some anecdotal pieces of information that say chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine together with zithromycin or the z-pack together can help some people with symptoms so the fda has the, now those those are malaria and arthritis drugs yeah a, malaria and antibiotic drugs in combination, seem to help some people. But mm -hmm. what I want to tell my listeners and our listeners, Jamal, this is not based on science. It's not based on scientific discovery. It's based on reports of some people having a beneficial um, response. Um, the only 
new piece of information that has happened since we last spoke, Jamal, is that the device for testing whether or not you have coronavirus, there's a new device made by Abbott Laboratories that can give you the results in less than five minutes. That is a that, game, that's a game changer. That's good. If we can get that device widely distributed to hospitals, to doctor's offices, to um, first responders, because the best treatment, Jamal, is still isolation and hand washing. <laughs> that's the best and will continue to be the best treatment against the spread of the coronavirus. They're still doing the, they've initiated the studies to do double blind studies for some of the, you know, the uh, chloroquine and some of the antiretrovirals. Some of the results are promising, but there's nothing is going to come out in terms of a vaccine for 10 to 12 to 18 months, Jamal. What about the shortage in ventilators? It's, it's catastrophic. If I mean, we, we are going to need in the United States, Jamal, we, we may need over, we, we, in California, we might need 40,000 ventilators. New York needs 40,000 ventilators. I mean, there's still not enough ventilators. What we do have are really, really creative engineers who have posted online ways that you can make a, a homemade ventilator for under $100. That's really great. So, and you could. I've seen. I've seen those. Uh, actually, the the best one that I've seen. Of course, not everyone has it. Is people who suffer from sleep apnea. Right. So they already have the mask, and they already have a machine that can be adjusted to become a ventilator. It, 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 not completely, because an actual ventilator is much more complicated and complex. But it's better than nothing. The you know they're splitting ventilators so two patients can be on one ventilator. The problem with that, you can only change the settings uh, for one of the patients, so both patients have to be on the same setting. I I want to go back to something you said before, Jamal, and we we as a country are not prepared, are ill prepared, are poorly prepared to deal with this and. You know, the administration can blame, yesterday they blamed the CDC, they blame China, they blame the Obama administration. Frankly, the buck stops with the administration. We were, right. we were ill-prepared. They shut down an office at the National Security uh, Office to monitor and to deal with pandemics. That was done well before this. They're cutting back, They prior to this, were cutting back funding to the NIH and NIMH, all of the national organizations that do science, you know, the problem is we're not really equipped. We don't have enough ventilators. We still are not testing enough people, Jamal, even though the United States has over 230,000 cases, that's going to double, triple, and probably go 10 times higher as soon as more people get tested. What about the Korea model? Because from what I've been watching, Korea seems to be the best at uh, testing, getting results, and somehow they have been able to bend the curve. Well, they bent the curve in a couple of ways. They were testing as many people as quickly as possible right away. As soon as they heard what was happening in China, they started to test tens of thousands of people who were at risk, and anybody who tested positive, they quarantined. I mean, that's the only thing you can do to, to mitigate this, Jamal. You need to find out if you're infected. If you're infected, you need to quarantine. If you don't know, then everybody has to shelter in place. And so what South Korea was able to do to bend the curve, instead of the curve going this way, it's kind of plateauing and maybe only going up a little bit. Mm -hmm. They were able to test large numbers of people, and they were able to get people to shelter in place way before anybody else got on board with this clearly way before the United States. And lastly, about uh, how about any news about the billion dollar contract, I assume that was given to Johnson & Johnson to work on the vaccine? Well, Johnson & Johnson is a big mega transnational corporation, as you know, Jamal. They have tremendous resources, but there's nothing 
that Johnson & Johnson has that's any different from any other biotech company. So even if Johnson & Johnson has a billion dollar contract to do something, it's still going to take 10 months to a year before a safe, reliable, uh, and effective vaccine is, is developed. So great for Johnson & Johnson, but for those of us who are kind of suffering now, I'm sorry to say that still the only thing that we have, and this is back to my other point, Jamal, that we have control over, uh, we have to do social distancing. We have mm -hmm. to stay in our homes as much as we can. We have to wash our hands. And the last thing I'll say, it looks like the government is going to come out today, Jamal, and encourage people to wear the surgical masks if they have them when they leave the house. I went to five places just not Nothing. now. I stopped. I looked for them in uh, at Walgreens, other drugstores. You won't everywhere. find them. I, I, they told me they didn't have them in months. Yeah, not that they didn't have them. They, they had empty shelves. They didn't have them in months. So this is what you can do, Jamal. Get, your, uh, get a scarf, wrap it around your nose and mouth, and uh, wear glasses when you go out. That's always good. It's not perfect, but I will tell you it's better than nothing. Well, I guess we've come to another end of Arab talk, Jamal. I mean, I, I know we've been focusing on the COVID-19. We haven't talked as much about what's happening. I mean, in Gaza, for example, there's emergencies going on in Gaza right now because of COVID-19. We haven't been able to talk about the rest of the Middle East. But this is such a public health crisis right now. We hope our listeners will understand. We're trying to give them as much information that will be useful for them now, whether or not they're in the Bay Area or whether or not they're in the Middle East. We're hoping this information will help everybody. That's right. And uh, we, we will be streaming online until uh, we can further go to notice. the studio until further notice. So watch us um, online on Facebook Live and Twitter and on our website, ArabTalkRadio.com, where we have everything archived. And stay safe, stay healthy. Listen to Dr. Jess. Take care of your mental health, which is very important, Absolutely. which people have not been uh, you know, keeping track of. And we will talk to you next week. We'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.